From finance and commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. Above all, it's a show about what's next, creativity, and the innovation and technology that are changing how we work and shaping the future of business throughout our state. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers who may challenge the status quo, but also make their dreams a reality. I'm Joel Shetler, your host and editor of Finance and Commerce, Minnesota's oldest business newspaper and online publication. Thanks so much for joining me. In this episode, Finance and Commerce reporter Brian Johnson speaks with Bill Baxley, Managing Director of the Minneapolis office of the Gensler Architecture Firm. Baxley has been in charge of the 30-person office for nearly three years. He recently oversaw Gensler's move into 8,000 square feet of space on the top floor of the 706 building at the Baker Center. Baxley has more than 30 years of experience in the field, including 24 in the Twin Cities region. His work on public, corporate, and educational projects has been recognized both locally and nationally. Baxley spoke with Brian about a wide range of design topics, including the coronavirus scare and how the health crisis might have an impact on designs of the future. Well, I'm pleased to be here with Bill Baxley of uh, Gensler, and we're in their uh, beautiful office space here in downtown Minneapolis, um, just a couple of blocks from our um, headquarters here in, in Minneapolis. So um, thanks for having me over. Thanks for coming, Brian. I'd love to host you here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, just to start out, uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your, your firm and um, what you types of projects you specialize in and, and kind of what you've been up to here in Minneapolis. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, we're uh, Gensler uh, is a global design practice. Um, I think I think we're actually the largest global design practice, strictly architecture and interior design, anywhere, about 7,000 people, um, which is an impressive number, but I think mm-hmm. uh, what I enjoy here in Minneapolis is uh, we're 30 people here, and mm-hmm. so we feel like a little boutique studio um, that's nimble and um, really grounded in this community. Most of the folks here have grown up here in Minneapolis, um, I haven't, but have lived here for, gosh, 26 years now, I think. I raised my kids here, and mm-hmm. uh, so we call this home. Um, mm. So we have an amazing group of, of people here, and they, uh, uh, the kind of work we do is all over the place. You might know the Dayton's project. That's uh, mm-hmm. our project here that we designed from our office. can be very super excited about it. It's... Uh, hopefully, knock on wood, going to roll out here uh, the beginning of June. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so that's a building reposition, both historical as well as retail, which we do. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of community work, libraries. Uh, we just finished a great redo of the Ridgedale Library out in Minnetonka. Oh, sure. Um, and are just getting ready to start another branch library for Hennepin County out in West Tonka, actually. It's oh. going to be their first net zero building for Hennepin County. Pretty exciting. Wow, yeah. That is exciting. That's very exciting. Yeah. Very nice. And um, and mixed use as well. We're uh, uh, we just won a competition uh, last year uh, that Heinz sponsored for the North Loop Green project, mm-hmm. uh, which is now um, next set of architects has taken the vision plan that we created and is going to 
pull that into fruition. So we're excited about that. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. He says you have about thirty people here in, in Minneapolis. Yeah. And um, so you say you're you're not originally from Minneapolis, but you've been here for a long time. Where yeah. where do you where are you from originally, <laughs> if I might ask? <laughs> My um, it's a it's an interesting story. My dad was in the Coast Guard, so uh-huh. I was a Coast Guard brat. And when you're in the Coast Guard, you move every couple of years, just like any branch of service. So um, I was born in Hawaii, actually, hmm. Hilo. Uh, my dad was fighting in Vietnam at the time. And um, gosh, I, I, we've lived in some amazing places. Uh, hmm. Alaska, New Orleans, D.C., um, Cleveland. Charleston, South Carolina. I think my parents were big travelers too, and I, mm-hmm. I think by the time I was fifteen, Brian, I'd either lived or been in all fifty states. Actually, wow, yeah, that's kind of amazing. So, I, uh, I think we were living in South Carolina at the time, and I wanted to, uh, um, decided to go to architecture school, and I went to Syracuse in upstate New York. That's where mm-hmm. I met my wife, Laura, and um, mm-hmm. from there we moved to Maine. Mm-hmm. right out of school and we lived there she's a landscape architect um, and so we lived in the southern part of the state for a while and then we had this great opportunity to live in the northern part of the state up near the New Brunswick border the St. John's River Valley big potato country up there it's kind of it's really beautiful mm-hmm. and so she worked for the Cooperative Extension Service and I shepherded a project that I designed uh, for a small tech college mm-hmm. um, so we had to live up there for like a year and a half on this, we were at this one house on this giant 300 acre potato farm and it was, mm-hmm. it was rolling hills and there was a rise in there. I remember we could ski up to the top of that rise and you could look south, about four hours south was Mount Katahdin, nothing but trees. Just, mm-hmm. You just really felt like you're on the top of the world. So, mm-hmm. And we were there for six years and we were thinking about raising a family and I had one Coast Guard friend um, John Budd, who's a professor of labor relations at the university, mm-hmm. uh, who lived out here, and he said, yeah, "You guys ought to try Minneapolis. It's you know great school system. Mm-hmm. We love it here." And um, the guy I was working with knew Milo Thompson, uh, had him as a professor, and made a call. I came out. Milo gave me a job, and the rest, as they say, is history. So um, yeah, I've really enjoyed living here. It's an amazing town. Great. Yeah. Well, and I'm impressed that someone who has roots in Hawaii ended up in Minneapolis. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, so what, uh, let's dive into our topic here about designing intergenerational communities. Um, what, what can you tell me about that effort, and, and how did you uh, get involved in this? Well, I think one of the um, wonderful things about Gensler is... Um, Gensler has a research institute, mm-hmm. and the research institute is funded every year, um, just like a grant process, an internal grant process. Um, and so every office, every person here has access to um, all of that information. And um, it came, to, we weren't studying it necessarily here in that office, but we started working on a project over at Luther Seminary, mm. which uh, sort of kicked in some thinking at least for me and the team working on that project about uh, what else Gensler had been doing. And also, Brian, I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to that um, next generation of 
of folks that I'm you know, just outside the boomer age group, right on the mm-hmm. right on the cusp there. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, in my brain, it's um, what I want. What are the communities I want to live in and, and experience, and how can we start affecting those, mm-hmm. affecting those now? So, we have. I have a couple of studies here that I'll share with you. One on mm-hmm. active aging, and a couple of studies that our New York office and our Los Angeles office did for a couple of communities around. Um, what intergenerational actually means. Mm-hmm. Not really rocket science, as I mm-hmm. discovered. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. So what does it mean? What are some of the key talking points? The, um, you know, I think, I was talking with Alexa uh, yesterday about this, too. Um, actually, Minneapolis gets, has a really good jump start in this. I've been, mm-hmm. I live down in uh, the south part of the city, right across the street from an elementary school. And in our neighborhood, um, it's all about connectivity. So we're there, we've got kids across the street, we've got Mount Olivet uh, Nursing Home a couple blocks away, we've mm-hmm. got a little retail center. Um, it's all walkable, it's all connected. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of the backbone of, of what intergenerational communities are. It's really about connectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I sort of pulled out sort of four big points I think that are really important there. Connectivity, choice, independence, and wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we, um, Minneapolis understands this, uh, I think really well, and I think the new 2040 plan, as it starts to get smart about where density goes and how we begin to make even more robust those four points, um, we'll, we'll be in good shape. Mm-hmm. It was interesting, I, my little street uh, all the houses were GI housing, so it was built mm. sort of post-war. And when we moved in, um, I think of the eight houses on that block, three were still original owners. Mm. And so these were grandparents that their kids had gone through the same system. Um, and we moved in and started having our family. We got connected to those folks. And here, 26 years later, we're now the old people on the block. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next generation of families, because of those same points of connectivity, two of those families have now uh, over in Mount Olivet. And mm-hmm. so I think you, they want to stay, people want to age in place. They want to stay in place when they have the mix of the school right there. You know, the school is very active with Mount Olivet. They have kids over there mm-hmm. all the time. Kind of. right. um, and so, again, it's not a... There's not a lot of magic there, but I think things like technology, uh, which has made sort of aging in place and connectivity even more robust, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that these are walkable communities, that mm-hmm. they're safe, um, there aren't sort of big boulevard streets, things are easy to cross. We're starting to fold in audible technology for crossing streets, making it easier for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels good, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great community to live in. Yeah, and my mother happens to be at Mount Olivet Care Center. Oh, and, um, yeah. she's, uh, they take good care of her there. Yeah. And, and I know what you mean. They have the, um, like the daycare facility there, yeah. too. And, um, very it's an interesting mix, right? Yeah, it is. It's, uh, and it's not, it's just very, um, it feels part of the neighborhood. And I think mm-hmm. um, it's, um, I think as we get all the fact that it's there, I think some of these new potentials, these new um, um, housing options, which will allow me to transit myself, for example, transition from my little single family house into something that's 
uh, maybe more condo or collective focus. It's mm-hmm. the social piece that I think um, a lot of us desire, and mm-hmm. we want to kind of stay in that community. We don't we don't want to think of that um, that next stage of life as sort of shuffled off to the to the suburbs somewhere. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. With uh, my mother went from the single family home in a nice little South Minneapolis neighborhood where they had lived for since the 50s and moved into an independent living uh, senior facility in Richfield and then on to Mount Olivet when she needed a little more care, but all within a pretty tight circle there and uh, didn't miss a beat. So that's good. (laughs) That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, there's... um, uh, there's a lot to be said about that, and again, mm-hmm. I think these are some of these principles are just are just basic planning principles. Mm-hmm. But I think if the city wants to and has been, I think with 2040, incentivizing that kind of density, it's on us as designers and civic leaders to make sure the mix is there, so that um, that sort of social well-being is 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 part of the building infrastructure, if you will. Mm-hmm. And how about transit? Uh, of course, there's a lot of um, transit stuff going on with the Southwest and so forth as people give up their cars and um, start to become more reliant on transit. How important is that in, in the mix that you're talking about here? I, it's, it's critically important. It's because I think as we, it's all about independence. You know, mm-hmm. I think when we, uh, I take the bus into work, uh, every day, and I, I, um, I feel lucky that I can do that. I literally walk thirty steps outside of my house, and it drops me mm-hmm. right on the block in front. But the more choices, the older I get. To um, you know, we're all uh, these giant cheaters. I'm wearing here. You know, our <laughs> eyesight starts to go, our yeah. hearing goes a little bit, but we're still active. We're still mobile. We still want to get places. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, transit options, even ride sharing, is. Uh, uh, is really important part of that. So we've got public transportation, we've got light rail, we've got ride share. All that helps to foster that independence, which um, is so valuable, I think, for for us as we get older. Mm-hmm. It also mm-hmm. works for kids too. I mean, mm-hmm. um, my kids to get over to Southwest High School, you know, there's two buses that get them from our house over there, and they become very adept at uh, riding public transportation. It's part of their lexicon and mm-hmm. and purview, and so it's super easy. Um, mm-hmm. Their desires to buy vehicles are probably a little bit different than yours and I. I couldn't wait to get a car yeah. and start driving around, you know? Right. They were like, yeah, cars are great, but um, I don't necessarily need them, you know? Mm-hmm. Cost money, Dad, you had to put gas in there, mm-hmm. I had to park it, I can get anywhere I need to. Mm-hmm. Um, with other means, so it's different. Yeah, you're Exciting. absolutely right. Yeah, I have three teenage daughters and a son in fourth grade, but my uh, teenagers, two of them are old enough to drive, but they haven't chosen to go that route yet. And uh, my oldest daughter is almost 18. She'll be heading off to college here pretty soon, but she's still, yeah, I'll get my license when I'm ready for it. And um, meanwhile, she's... Uh, taking advantage of transit and, and of course of dad right driving her around but <laughs> three um, daughters wow yeah. you got your hands full <laughs> I do but, but uh, it's all good so what uh, what else can you tell me about the report and where can folks find this if they're interested in learning more 
good question. I think the this is all public information, so I think mm -hmm. maybe we'll work um, uh, through the Gensler Research Institute. I can give you a, a uh, uh, URL where you can uh, maybe include it at the end of this, and mm -hmm. folks can log in. And sure, um, that's what's wonderful about all the Gensler research. It's all we feed it back out. It's all accessible to anybody who wants to who wants to get it. Mm -hmm. um, and these were done uh, a couple years ago, and this. Um, this one is really interesting. This this one is about uh, actual intergenerational communities, and it's mm -hmm. um, looks at MacArthur Park in Los Angeles and oh, yeah. Ivy City in Washington. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, you know, as I'm looking through the, you know, they're just lovely images of these kind of vibrant communities. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just about good planning. It's about proximity. Actually, density matters in these cases. I think. Mm -hmm. um, there's that sort of uh, eyes on the street, the visual connection to public spaces. Mm -hmm. Public spaces need to be um, better programmed. I think, you know, as we get older, the uh, we're constantly uh, learning. I want to be an environment that has social programs, that has educational programs that are easily accessible. Mm -hmm. um, I think the tangent that came out of this, which was about the Luther Seminary story that we started earlier, is that yeah. college campuses are a huge draw for um, for seniors. Um, mm. And it's a ripe opportunity. It's interesting. The, the pedagogy of, of <clears throat> education is changing so dramatically. You know, it's getting mm -hmm. so expensive. Mm -hmm. But um, colleges have a lot of real estate. Mm -hmm. um, and real estate, as their demographics are shifting and Students are coming, we're going to more online. So they, they, they have a bit of surplus land, many of them. And so mm -hmm. um, adapting that to aging in place strategies, pulling housing onto that campus is uh, a wonderful way to both um, invigorate the campus landscape and start molding some generations together in an incredibly vibrant way. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that I'm interested in uh, as I grow older, is the, that college lifestyle was such important to me, such an important part of my life. As I get older, kind of re-registration with that is really powerful. Yeah. And um, I think uh, uh, Luther is, is exactly in that spot. You know, they had a mm -hmm. beautiful north and south campus. Um, they've consolidated down into the north, really, really found their foundation. Mm -hmm. And now that south campus can be... Um, wealth of opportunities for house up that can then in turn support the the college's mission too it's uh, mm -hmm. it's pretty exciting um mm. it's change you know yeah. i think that neighborhood the saint anthony neighborhood is so beautiful such an amazing place that has such a rich history mm -hmm. so any of that change is a bit scary for everybody but mm -hmm. i think if we take it step by step if we really understand that we're we're making both better we'll, we'll get there mm -hmm. it'll be good mm -hmm. yeah well, that is exciting, and um, so I can't let you go without asking about the A topic that's been on everyone's mind, which is the coronavirus. And <laughs> what what do you what do you believe are some of the design implications and how we look at uh, designing buildings uh, now and in the future mm -hmm. um, with this sort of on our on our minds as far as. Um, preventing the spread of not just this particular virus that we're talking about today, but just you know, cleanliness in general and um, keeping people healthy. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it is a, 
topic that I think, you know, we've, we've had, not necessarily pandemics, but certainly epidemics before, you know, SARS and MERS and things mm-hmm. like that. I think this one feels different the way it spreads. And I think from a design standpoint, we were talking earlier, um, you know, certainly it starts with everything that you touch and, and mm-hmm. the sort of awareness of that haptic realm that um, a doorknob or how you enter a building or the sort of layers of transition from street into uh, public spaces, you sort of have to be aware. You're like, how do I use my elbows to kind of open things? And I, So I think there will be ramifications about how doors work, how mm-hmm. um, public spaces work, what are the... You know, technology already enables us to have meetings remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this may be a little bit more shot in the arm of, of uh, how can we make that even more successful uh, when we have to go in lockdown mode. You know, right now, our, we're a global firm. We've closed down all of our global travel. We're really starting to restrict groups coming into our uh, into our offices. We have sign-up sheets. You know, we're, we're doing all the... Um, right protocols but it's mm-hmm. uh, the one thing is we're still a business and I think you mm-hmm. know a lot of it how do we keep running we can't just shut down and so right. everybody takes their laptop home we connect to the network which is sort of stressing our ability to we've got lots of information that we process every day mm-hmm. how do we do that better um, and so this issue of remote work uh, which we've talked about a lot in the past relative to workplace I, it sort of brings you know comes back up again because um, because we're forced to mm-hmm. and uh, how can we still be efficient um, and what can we learn from that mm-hmm. uh, using this pandemic as, a, as an example so mm-hmm. um, a lot of interesting experiments uh, kind of going on mm-hmm. uh, right now with our firm uh, and our office but I think um, it's going to change things for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well great well, well Bill it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Did you have anything else that you care to add? Um, you know, I think the um, we mentioned those four points, and I'll just um, say them again. But mm-hmm. I think um, it, the thing about intergenerational communities it isn't isn't rocket science, Brian. I think mm-hmm. um, I credit Minneapolis and the decision makers and the early planners here for getting a lot of things right. But we can focus on connectivity, the ability to really maintain relationships with neighbors and friends and family. Um, both in person and online is 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 really important mm-hmm. uh, to have a choice um, to live in a location that fits your particular preferences um, and participating in activities that we can choose um, both about daily lives and healthcare choice is really important independence we talked about that earlier um, I think as we um, we are aging differently, and I think um, relying on others as little as possible is, is vitally important. And so mm-hmm. we talked about transportation really fueling that, that the ability to get around, mm-hmm. um, but also personal care, walking, ride sharing, all these things are, are critical for the success of an intergenerational community. And of course, wellness. We talked about coronavirus staving off disease and how we uh, move through our daily lives in a way that... Um, is hygienic, but uh, not sterile, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, is, is really top of mind for us here. So mm-hmm. Great. I'll leave you with that. Well, a lot to think about, and I enjoy these conversations. I always learn something, and so that's certainly the case today. And Great. Yeah. Well, it's nice to meet you, Brian. Thank you. And, and yeah. 
good to know that you you have relatives in our neighborhood. We'll have to get together sometime. That For sure, great. absolutely. And I understand you have a swimmer in your family, and I do as well. So <laughs> wonderful. Maybe we can compare notes sometime about swimming. That so. would be great. I'd love to do that. All right. Thank you. Thank Take you, care. Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to Beyond the Skyline. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about finance and commerce, or to subscribe, go to our website, www.finance-commerce.com. I'm Joel Shetler, Editor of Finance and Commerce. Thank you again for listening to Beyond the Skyline.